Now, welcome to the CatTunes podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Crowley. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the stories behind my songs, the production tools that I've used, the production methods that I've employed, the instruments that I've played, the instruments that I've discovered, the arrangement methods that I've used, the real-life stories which precipitated the creation of my entire albums or of my separate tracks. So let's jump right into it, shall we? And uh, welcome you listening to the sixth episode of the Cattoons podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a song called Emitted. We're still on the I Tell You What album, which was released on January 6th. The modern version was released on January 6th. The original version of the album, however, was created somewhere between 2007 and 2008. So it's a fairly old album, which describes uh, a lot of interesting things. And if you have listened to the previous episodes of this podcast so far, you will probably get the bigger context of what was going on in my life and um, what was happening, basically. So we're still on that album. Admitted is the sixth track off of this album. At a time when the album was in production, there was no intro track. Later on, an intro track called Solari 40707 was added, and um, obviously all the songs moved one position down. So. Anyways, this is the fifth song, you could say an actual song with vocals and lyrics, but it is the sixth track on this album. So, Admit It was written exactly in spring 2008, and it was written at the time that I had to move out from my Aunt Laura's place. From that place I had to move out from there after living there for a couple of months. I was basically asked out. And uh, once again, I had nowhere to live. Fortunately, fortunately enough, the then ex-husband of a friend of mine with whose kid did I babysit a year ago. That sounds weird, right? (laughs) However, that's precisely the case. That ex-husband of my friend, he happened to have an option for me. This ex-husband, who was my friend too, he worked as a 3D architect for a little firm, and uh, his boss just happened to own a basement in another part of Moscow. So I had nowhere to live, and I was basically just willing to go anywhere, (laughs) only not to stay in the streets. I absolutely did not want to stay in the streets. That's pretty scary in a city like Moscow, you know. So basically he called me and he told me, hey, look, I got this option, my boss, he wants you to write music for his project. Well, his boss is an architect and they have an architect firm, but his boss, he had this young lover, a girl, from St. Petersburg. And that girl aspired to become a pop star, basically. So his boss was looking for someone for 
producer, for a, for a composer, for someone who would write the actual songs, the music material, produce it all, and also do vocal classes with this uh, young uh, lady. Okay, so while I was still living in the old place, I've had a meeting with this boss. Somehow, my brother also had seen him, and for some reason, I don't know, he reminded me of a fish. He reminded me of a fish, and I couldn't shake it off. He reminded me of a little busy fish. And somehow, me and my brother, we came to a conclusion that he's a heck. I don't know why, but he looked like a heck. Not like a cod, not like a pollock, not like an alec, but specifically like a heck. I don't know. So we started to call him Heck, and I will, I will proceed, I will continue to call this man Heck. He was a very nice gentleman, but there was something comical about him, and I, I can't really explain this. So, we've had this arrangement. I had to move out from that place where I've lived with Aunt Laura, where I basically had a room, which belonged to my grandfather. Uh, when the time came, I think it was like late March, probably, late March 2008, so I moved out, and I moved all of my stuff, and I didn't have like a lot of possessions, mostly just clothing and whatever, and I moved into that basement. The only thing in that basement that I really had was a green couch, an old green couch, and a table. I had like, a, like an old wooden chair, and that's it. I had power, I had cold running water in a sink, uh, where the toilet was, and it wasn't exactly a bathroom. Uh, the thing is, is that it was a vast basement, and it was sort of separated into two halves. In one section of that basement, there was a couple renting, renting that other half. And I moved into the larger part of the basement. There used to be a topography there. They were the previous renters. They had a firm there, and then something happened, I don't know, they've expanded or they decided to move out and whatever, and so they moved out, and they moved out just recently, and so that basement was vacant, and that's why Heck allowed me to move in. That's why he made this proposition, so, you know, a proposition that I could not decline, you know, it's better to live in a basement than to live in the streets. So, <laughs> so I moved in into that basement, and uh, no refrigerator, nothing basically nothing. A chair, an old green couch. I had one bed sheet, I had one towel, I had that old wooden chair, I almost didn't have toothpaste, there was cold water, there was that sink, I didn't have a shower, so I was... I had to excel in my acrobatic capacity so that I could wash myself in that cold, ice-cold water in a sink. Let's say it was a very interesting place to live in, but let's say that I was not exactly super-duper happy about these circumstances. I mean, of course that was better than nowhere, but still, it was a very bizarre feeling living there underground. It was like, I don't know, perhaps seven feet... No, I think, I think deeper. I think like 12 feet under the ground. It was an old, large building. One of those buildings that they call in Russian, in Moscow, they call Stalinka something that was built in the time of Stalin, basically. So that's a huge building, it has a deep basement with a long staircase that goes downwards, and then it sort of splits into two separate sections. 
So, it was a very strange place to live in. There was a steel door with a lock that led into that basement. It had large switches, you know, it didn't have like traditional power outlets or traditional... It wasn't basically equipped for like living there actually, it was like an office thing. But the topography, when they moved out, they ripped everything out. They even took the doors with them. They took whatever furniture was there and they left nothing. Basically nothing. Everything I had to sweep that floor and it was super dusty and there was plenty of whitewash for whatever reason, I don't know why. And um, a pile of old paper that they left behind, something like that. One old wooden chair that was barely functional, an old desk without any drawers, an old wardrobe that was falling apart, that was in my corner where I could stash my stuff, and that old green couch which was broken on one half. It was sort of getting there, let's put it this way. I got it absolutely broken, I think a month later. I was really, really trying hard to break it. Not that I wanted, but it just, it just happened, you know, it happened. Most importantly, it had no windows. I mean, it's a basement, right? So it had, in that little, let's call it a room, even though it isn't exactly a room, in that little section where I was mostly dwelling, it had, and honestly, I don't know what it, what is that called, I think it's like a hearing window, if there is such a thing. It's sort of like a window that goes up to the surface, but there is really no light that comes through. I don't know, it's probably... For the most part, I could hear a little bit of the noise coming from the street at daytime. And that's it. But there was no light coming through that. So you basically, once you descend into this basement, if you turn off those large switches, in the little lobby where it splits, you're in complete darkness. It's actually a surreal feeling because I was sleeping there really deeply. You can't see Jack Squat in such darkness because there is no other source of light at all. It's a very bizarre feeling to be underground and to listen to the water running through the pipes because it's the basement, right? So and occasionally to hear someone, some lady, in high heels, walking above your head, I don't know how many feet above, in the lobby of that building, because it's like a multi-apartment building, you see what I'm saying? So that was a very, very strange feeling, a very bizarre feeling, it's almost like living somewhere, being on orbit, I don't know. You don't see sunlight, you don't see the daylight, it's very hard to distinguish between day and night, once you get down, there is just, like like they say in Twin Peaks, electricity. And that's it. But if you turn it off, then you can basically go and sleep and you can, I don't know, I, I had a vivid feeling that you can sleep forever. That you can just lay down, fall asleep, and you won't know are you still sleeping when you open your eyes or no, because it's so dark. So I started living there. And I don't want to go into too much detail describing all the things that happened in that basement because it was it, it was its own peculiar chapter that nowadays I look back at and I find it sort of hilarious and sort of romantic at the same time. Back in the day, back in the day didn't seem to be the case at all. Actually, it was pretty annoying and I just had to contend with all of those things. But at least I was happy that I had a roof over my head, some sort of roof over my head. And um, I had somewhere to sleep and it was warm. And out of that basement, I was writing music. I was writing music for this heck. I was 
still having my vocal classes, I had his protege, who, let's say she wasn't really that talented, and she... I don't know. I mean, I guess it's one of those things when a girl has, uh, has a dream to become a great pop star, and she finds a man who can pay for, for those things, and um, who can make it happen. And he's a married man with kids, mind you. He had like five kids or so, and a wife. And heck, the owner of this basement, he lived in the same multi-apartment building on the fifth story or so. He was right there, very close. It would take him literally five minutes to get down and get into the basement and check on me. So I started working on his project, I was writing songs for that project, and some of those songs, by the way, which weren't accepted, which he didn't buy, they went into the I Tell You What album. One of those songs, by the way, is called Don't Bother, and we will get to that song later. Another song from that same project, from that time, which was originally written for that girl, was I'll Never Come. Then I've written other lyrics to it and sort of adjusted it a little bit, changed the key, and it became my song. Because he didn't buy it, Mr. Heck didn't want to buy it. Anyways, during that time, I was working on this project, I was working with that girl. I also had some of my students, and I was extremely grateful to those people who were still attending my classes, who had to go to a different part of Moscow, to a different district, only to get to me, to a vocal class. And back then, because I was really struggling, I was really struggling to make ends meet, I was living off cheap food, like cheap noodles with mayo, some apple juice, cigarettes, coffee occasionally when I could get some coffee somewhere, sometimes some fast food. It was a horrible experience because I didn't have anything to cook on, I didn't have a stove there, I couldn't store food, so I basically had to eat something that I could cook very quickly something that was not intended to be stored. And amidst all of this, I was still seeing guys. Because I couldn't just, you know, just because I'm in a basement, just because I'm living out of a basement doesn't mean I'm not gonna see nobody, right? So I was seeing two guys. One of them was my student, and he was at that time, when I just moved in, he was sort of still my student. He was attending my classes. I've had a feeling like there is something going on something we're not talking about, and that thing was going on for months now. He followed me every time that I moved. I've moved in and out of like three places or four places, and he was following me all this time. He ended up being my boyfriend, actually, at the time. But there was another guy that I was seeing, and um, I don't know, he was sort of timid. However, he, he wasn't my student, he wasn't my client, he would show up sometimes, and we would spend some time, we would watch some movies, we would play some music, something like that. Meaning not that we would actually play music like, play musical instruments, no. But he would show me like, oh, did you hear this song by Slipknot? Did you hear this song by Korn? Whatever, like he was into new metal and I was into new metal, so whatever. And he was sort of like, he's getting there and he's not getting there. I remember I went to his place perhaps once, and he was trying to control me. I don't know, there was something very controlling about him. And at the same time, there was something... Something was sort of off, like he wasn't determined enough, let's put it this way. And it was turning me off. It was sort of upsetting me because at the time, I was insecure about myself, and I was 
writing everything off as, oh, I'm not good enough, oh, I'm not attractive enough, I'm not sexy enough, I'm doing something wrong, I'm doing something wrong. So the last thing that would pop into my mind is that something might be wrong with the guy. So I was, I was trying to do my best, and yet it wasn't there. I couldn't figure it out. And then, I mean, nowadays, retrospectively, I think that perhaps the guy was sort of freaking out because I'm a trans girl. And he knew that I'm a trans girl. He knew it. But he was having some conflicting feelings going on. Perhaps he was ashamed of his attraction to me. And he was definitely attracted to me. But he would be with this timidity and with this indecisiveness, he was somewhat like, hey, I'm with you, but uh, you know, I don't know what to do, etc., etc. And that was really getting to me at some point. It dragged on for like three months, perhaps we're occasionally seeing each other. And then he arrived, there was this one evening when he arrived to my basement. I met him somewhere else, at the subway station probably. We bought some booze, we bought some snacks, we bought something like that. Not for us really that much, but mostly for my neighbors. Uh, because they were very nice to me, they would give me their kettle to boil water. <laughs> and occasionally they would allow me in to use their shower. They had a little shower there on their side of the basement. So I became friends with them pretty quickly. And they were like a grown-up couple, like a married man and woman in their 40s. 50s or so. And we returned to the basement and I had to work on this song, which is now called Omitted. Originally, this track, Omitted, it was intended for Heck. It was one of those tracks that I was writing I was hoping that he would buy it, because the kind of deal that we had is that he ordered me several songs, and I don't exactly remember how many songs. Was it five songs or was it eight songs? Something along those lines. And I basically had to write that music, then I had to make a simple demo of that, basically just sing a vocal, without any lyrics perhaps, to that. And if he would like it, then he would buy it. So, Emitted, originally, was a track that was intended for Heck. It wasn't actually intended for myself. There were no lyrics, I didn't know what the song is gonna be about, I had no clue, but I was just trying to write a catchy piece that I could sell. Well, at the same time, because I was very much into interesting music, like telepop music, for example, or the fuzz, something like that, I was trying to experiment and I wanted to... I wanted to write something modern, something cool, something electronic, something groovy. Oh, Koshin. Koshin. That was a singer, and I had her album back in those days, and I loved that sound. And so I wanted to go down that lane. I wanted to do something catchy, but not exactly pop, I wanted to make it interesting. So we get to my basement and I have to finish working what I'm working on because I, I walked out to meet him at the subway, he had never been to this basement yet, and um, I'm like, can you please just sit down on the couch and wait for me to finish this? And he's like, okay. At the time there was also my brother, my younger brother, not the youngest, but my younger brother who was living there with me for like a month, probably. And my neighbors were gone, they were out for like, I don't know, out of town for like a week or so, so basically the, the entire basement was ours. And my other brother, my other younger brother stopped by and so they were in a different part of the basement, they were playing keyboards and strumming guitars and rehearsing something because they wanted to go out and play a gigs, play some cover songs, you know, Coldplay, The Beatles, you know, something like that. 
And so I have this guy sitting on the couch listening to what I'm writing. And all of a sudden, he starts telling me, hey, I think you should do this and that. I did not ask him for any advice. He's not a musician. I'm the musician, right? I'm the producer. So I'm sitting here and doing my thing. And all of a sudden, a guy, this guy, who probably thinks that he's entitled to giving advice to me, he's trying to tell me, what should I do? And I'm just sitting there and I continue working. I turn around and say, hey, I didn't ask you for any advice. Can you please not distract me for a moment? I'll wrap it up in like 10 and I'll be with you. Right now, give me some time. I need to wrap this up, this section. So I continue. I think he didn't exactly understand what's up. So he really started to say something about like, oh, pop music, this and that, and that. It's not that he was just trying to criticize what I was working on. First of all, this is an unfinished project. I'm literally in the project and I'm just making it up. I'm writing it out, programming everything, experimenting, making up melodies on the fly. And this guy is not part of the process. And it doesn't matter, do I sleep with the guy or do I not sleep with the guy? He is not part of the project. He's not on my team. We're not working on this together. Hell, he's not even a musician. So, excuse me, buddy. So I sort of told him again, hey, dude, um, you know what? I did not ask you for your advice. I'll handle it. He was like, ah, okay, well, whatever. And then he left uh, to where my two brothers, they were rehearsing in the other room. So they, he went there. And then, like, I don't know, 20 minutes later, my one of my brothers comes to me and like sort of like in a secretive whisper tells me like, hey, cat, who is this? I'm like, well, my date, I guess. And my brother is like, are you really, do you really know him very well? And I'm like, well, sort of, kind of, not really that much. Sort of, we're sort of growing to know each other a little bit. And he's like, is he a musician? I'm like, no, he's not a musician. And my brother is like, well, he's trying to give us advice on how to play guitars. And mind you, all of my brothers are musicians and not amateurs. All of my brothers are educated musicians who are playing music, who are playing songs, you know, whatever. Some of them are, you know, more experienced, some of them are less experienced, whatever. All of them, all of us are musicians. So... An absolute outsider is trying to give some advice to my brother Victor how to strum guitar on songs that he played for years, literally. I mean, my brother Victor, he, at the time at least, he was a huge fan of British music, you know, the Beatles, Coldplay. Oh my god, he loved Coldplay. I think he also loved Muse and, uh, gosh, Britpop music. He was all into that. And he knew all of these songs and he, he sang them very well, really. And my other brother, Alan, he's a jazz musician, actually. So, back then, I mean, they were still getting their education. But anyways, these are actual musicians who are in action. You know what I'm saying. So my brother Victor is like, well, can you please sort of hint it to him that he's not welcome in the process exactly? I'm like, okay, well, I'll tell him. So, then I wrapped up my projects, whatever I was working on, then we had an evening, then we had an evening, then we had a night, we watched a movie, 
then there was the actual night. Not as passionate as I wanted it to be. Not because it could not happen, but because the guy, I think, was too preoccupied with trying to, I don't know, impose himself, try to control me or try to like impose on me his expectations or his perception of how things should be instead of accepting things the way they were. You know what I'm saying? It's quite a ridiculous situation. I think I think what actually aggravated the situation is that he exactly wasn't in touch with himself and um, I think he was, as I said before, I think he was ashamed of himself for dating me and I was pretty damn far from what do I look like nowadays. I wasn't as developed, let, let's put it this way. I was still adorable and cute though. And me, I was quite insecure about my looks, about my body, about all those things. So it was like an entangled knot, really. A potentially problematic situation. And so there was this strange night, and then the next morning when we woke up, we've had a conversation about what happened last night. And I've expressed my grievances about him trying to get in the way of, of myself when I was in the process because he was like, well, why wouldn't you listen? Why are you so hard-headed? I'm like, you don't understand. You are not my team. You are not asked any advice. You're not welcome with your advice. I am working on a project. You are not a musician. I didn't ask you to get in and start actually in a patronizing fashion. I didn't ask you to advise me on how, how should I do my job. And more than that, my dear friend, I didn't ask you to go and give advice to my brothers. Again, that looks like it's a little too much because it appears that you're getting over your head all the time, not just with me, but with them too, which comes across as actually, I don't know, disrespectful, almost, and stupid. To put it, to put it bluntly, it looks stupid. And I basically express those things, not in a harsh way, but I started that conversation, I've expressed that, and uh, he responded something, and then we had a conversation, and I think he didn't exactly want it to accept what I was trying to tell him. And basically, it ended right there. I've lost this guy, because he sort of didn't back off at all on his behavior, and I said basically that, you know what, I am not comfortable with you behaving yourself like that. This is not your area of expertise. I'm not like you, in the sense that you might be an amateur musician in your mind because you strum guitar occasionally and you know so much music and you're a fan of, you know, new metal bands, etc. You are not a actual musician. I am. And my brothers are. And I'm also a musical producer and a vocal coach. So perhaps I know a little bit better what am I doing. And uh, when I didn't ask for any advice in my work, I don't expect anybody to get over their head and try to teach me how to do my job. So I think he got a little bit offended. So in the end, he left. He left that morning and I didn't see him ever again. Actually, I don't think that it was a great loss. But eventually this track that I was exactly working on that night and the following week, this track didn't make it to heck who ordered it, there was something that he didn't like about it. It was too sad, according to him, or something, something was not there. And uh, basically, this is, just like Don't Bother and just like I'll Never Come, 
admitted ended up being my song, which I felt free to put into the I Tell You What album, and because it was written at the time, and then I was writing lyrics for this track, I basically wrote out that situation, you know, more or less, and it was like a cumulative thing. I didn't exactly describe that particular night. It's about other things too, but essentially admitted is a song about this guy and about what happened that night and what happened some more nights before that. So let's read the lyrics. Uh, first verse opens with this. Today tastes like I can't fit in. It tells me I'm out of line. The things that I have permitted to you, it says in parentheses, are ignored, so I'm left behind. I ain't gonna ask you, why can't we rhyme? You're self-centered all the time. Well, it's all there, and I just told the story, right? <laughs> Today tastes like I can fit in. I, I felt that day, especially that day, I felt like I'm sort of out of the picture, that I'm not appreciated, that I'm not wanted, that I'm not desired enough. Instead of that, this guy is almost like trying to elevate himself in my eyes somehow in a very strange, bizarre, and stupid way by trying to coach me on how to do my job, so that, that was ridiculous. And I felt like I'm just, like, I don't fit in. Like, I feel, I felt odd. I felt odd for a lot of reasons. Also, because this guy was so ashamed of his feelings and of his desires for me, that actually things were pretty messed up, and sex didn't happen properly. So it was like, it was so disconnected, it was so disjointed, it was so awkward and weird. And instead of actually being in the moment and enjoying something, instead of that, for the most part, I was worried about him being ashamed of himself, and I was worried about my own insecurities, because I was absorbing that and um, feeling worse and worse and more insecure about myself because of that situation. The things that I have permitted to you are ignored, so I'm left behind. So I felt like I'm basically just left behind. Ah, you're self-centered all the time. That's how I felt about him. I felt that the guy is just in his head, and he's like, he's all about trying to assert himself. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with trying with, for a guy to try to assert himself. But like, when it's done properly, when it's done in a right way, let's put it this way, it's fine and it's welcome. But trying to assert yourself and at the same time showing your own incompetence, that's ridiculous, that's stupid. So then there is the hook and it says, I've been waiting through the night, devious waiting, I'm admitted, alone by your side. Why so timid? Why so blind? I'm suspecting because we never could even confide. That was another thing, because it seemed to me that he's not actually listening to what I'm trying to tell him. And perhaps I dismissed what he was telling me. There was like a major miscommunication because I actually didn't completely trust him. I really couldn't trust him exactly because of this somewhat controlling attitude that he was trying to impose on me. Next verse. You touch me like I'm contagious, like I am a fragile vase. I wait for your kiss for ages and stay awake, just in case. I'm already thinking, whom else can I find? Because you failed to read my mind. Now, this last line about, because you failed to read my mind, that's sort of like a sarcastic, really, really sarcastic thing, because... Honestly, in reality, I never expect guys to read my mind magically. I prefer to say things straight, at least nowadays, I prefer to actually say what I want. Back then, I wasn't exactly capable of voicing what I would like the guy to do. But anyways, at least I was sort of hinting, I was actively hinting, like, ah, 
this is like, are we, what, hey, no, God. So, I, it's all there, it's all in these lyrics. Then there is a hook again, I've been waiting through the night, mind you, not waiting, but waiting, W-A-D-I-N-G, waiting, through the night, devious, waiting, I'm admitted, uptight, make me happy, be so kind, I crave your passion, but you're making me lonely inside. Then there is the middle section that says, laying here, I feel emitted and cold. It got too far too quickly. Aching here, I feel emitted and cold. I guess you don't even care. So get emitted in return. I feel emitted and cold, I feel emitted and cold. It goes on. Then there is a hook again. I've been waiting through the night, devious waiting, I've admitted alone by your side. Why so timid? Why so blind? I'm suspecting because we never could even confide. Then there is a different var variation of the hook. I've been waiting through the night, devious, waiting, I'm admitted, uptight, make me happy, be so kind, I crave your passion, but you're making me lonely inside. And the song is concluded by the lines, I feel admitted, I feel admitted and cold, I feel admitted, I better get out for a smoke. Back then I was a smoker, so my reaction to situations like this was quite often like in the middle of the night I would just leave, get out of bed, grab a cig, uh, my lighter, and wander up to that steel door, carefully open it, and uh, stand there and smoke, half naked. Needless to say that I wasn't exactly happy with this situation, fortunately I was on the verge of seeing someone else, that other guy whom I actually liked more anyways, but for the most part, I guess, this guy, it sort of hurt my my female pride, I guess. Because I was like, how can you be so indecisive? Why are you not taking action? Why all this talk? Gosh, it's so stupid. And dude, you're putting yourself in such a ridiculous situation. You're trying to coach me on, on something that you are not competent in. That's ridiculous. It's like instead of, I don't know, in his mind, maybe he thought that he's turning me on by being like masculine and stuff like but that's not masculinity for Christ's sake it's not so ridiculous so in the end I've written these lyrics and on the modern version of the song I've sort of adjusted them a little bit because they were sort of clunky on the uh, original classic version of admitted I've adjusted the lyrics a little bit and for the most part it's really I wouldn't say that this is like a depressed really sad tragic song no it's sort of part sarcastic uh, sort of melancholic, I would say. It has a funky edge to it, and uh, if you go and listen to the modern version of this song, you will actually hear those funky flavors because of the guitars, because of the rhythm section, and also thanks to my brother Alan, who tracked the trumpet section for me. Because in the original version, I was limited in my capacity. I didn't have any live brass instruments, and the best I could do is to just program those brass lines, whatever I wanted in the song, and it still was sort of funky, but it was like, come on, I mean, it, the old classical admitted is an electronic piece, whereas the modern version of admitted has a lot more of an acoustic live feel. So, now that I've laid out 
the story behind this song and I told you what the lyrics are about and actually the lyrics are pretty damn straightforward there is no like hidden meaning or double meanings or there, there is nothing really to decipher it's all right on the surface I'm sort of laughing about it actually that same day I was sort of laughing about what happened the previous night so I would say that it, this is a fairly light song you know compared to my other pieces which might be pretty damn heavy or tragic or dark or something this one is like almost like a joke so now that I've laid out the story, let's get to the music analysis, shall we? So the song starts with a tingly, shiny little bell, whatever that is. Um, the patch that I've used, I think, was called toy piano or something like that. Some sort of jingly bells sort of sound. there basically this intro sets the tone for the entire song because we're basically revolving on all verses we're revolving around the same sequence we are in C sharp minor so we have C sharp minor G sharp major on the C bass C goes into the bass and we go back to C sharp minor D major 7 you could say D mage 7 with a 9 Then there is the brass section. The brass section in the old version is sort of simpler and the brass section on the modern version of the song is more elaborate thanks to my brother who played that entire pack and I will not decipher it in too much detail. The idea is that the riff that is played there is unique you could say because it's nowhere else to be found on the song only on this specific little bridge. basically the bridge. So what's going on there? We have a C sharp minor and it goes down into F sharp minor with a 7 a chromatic passage into G sharp major back to C sharp minor E major major and we're going into the verse 
Today feels like I can't. Today tastes like I can't feel it. In. It tells me I'm out of line. The things that I have permitted to you, to you, are ignored. So I'm left Self-centered all the time. Part of my pitch is singing. I'm sitting here at the piano. I've actually, this is one of the songs, one of the many songs that I've composed in my head instead of composing it at the piano. So right now, I'm basically playing it and singing it, perhaps for the first time. So what's going on here? Um, first of all, we got a C sharp minor. Seven. Then we get a G sharp major on a C bass. That's going on in the bass always, right? That movement. Then we go back to C sharp minor seven. D major seven nine. Then it repeats itself. Is the backing vocal? Ba 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 ba. Again, same story. C sharp minor with a seven. And bizarrely enough, the melody sings a C sharp, whereas the bass plays a C. Well, you could more correctly, it would be a B sharp, since we're in C sharp minor. And we understand that this is a harmonic minor, right? So. You see how odd that is, right? Dissonant. You're so centered all again, same dissonance all the time. Then we're getting to the hook, and here's how it goes. section again. In the hook we have some interesting stuff going on here because I've been 
starts. You see what's going on there? We're starting with an A major and a 7 too. Of course, it's a 7, a major, 7 A major. So, instead of starting with an E in the melody, it starts with a D sharp, which already creates plenty of tension. I've been waiting. Then it goes into G sharp major, the dominant chord. And then there is a, a pitch bend in the vocal, and I can't emulate that on a piano, obviously, on a keyboard. So this is a C-sharp minor. Again, another point of tension. Then it repeats itself. Same phrase, third line. So we're having a F sharp minor 7 basically. Then there's the repetition. And it cues into the brass section. So that's the hook. The hook has these two important points of tension. One of them is in the very beginning on the A major. actually a sad tune. Then this one. There's a brass section again, then we are going into the second verse, and the second verse is basically the same exact thing. Uh, harmonically and melodically, there's nothing really changes. C sharp minor, G sharp major, sort of, really, even though sometimes it verges, depending on these two notes, D sharp or E, it sort of fluctuates. It almost sometimes sounds like it's a C major. And then there's this D major 7, mage 7, and a 9. Now, then there is a hook again. It happens again. It is happening again, in the words of the giant from Twin Peaks. And then after that, we arrive at the middle section. What's going on in the middle section? So the middle section starts with... On an F-sharp minor 7, or should I say a 9, then all of a sudden a B major It's a 7, a mage 7. It's not supposed to be there, really. Then there is an A mage 7, E mage 7. Then this repeats itself, and the vocals are still not there. 
And then it goes into the actual middle section, into that um, bridge, you could call it, whatever that is. I'm not gonna sing that high because just I, I, I would have to really warm up to go there easily. <clears throat> so instead of that, I'm just gonna play it. There is an A major seven, then an A minor seven, an E major mage seven, F minor seven nine. plus 5 C sharp minor and again and we're queuing in into that old loop that basically repeats itself all the time and it's arranged slightly differently it fluctuates all the time and uh, sometimes it's a C sharp minor then it's a C major C major 7 then it goes back to C sharp minor and then we're starting again with the hook very quietly basically repeats itself twice in the end and there is and there is plenty of layers of stuff going on there the guitars are playing there with a wah wah pedal the trumpets are playing the trumpet section is playing the bass is all funky it's sort of like a some sort of bizarre twisted darkish uh, blend of like I don't know disco perhaps even though I personally have never been a fan of disco music at all and it was way before my time honestly and funk music and then something modern electronic I'm guessing and something Latin maybe a little bit and um, some dark pop I'm guessing maybe something post-rock whatever so it's like a it's quite a concoction of things and all of it happens on a fairly simple chord progression you see what I'm saying so um, after the second hook is gone, finally, 
After that, we're left just with the outro, and the outro is essentially the same as the intro. We're sitting on D Mage 7 9 as the song fades. So it's the same story C sharp minor. analysis of emitted pretty pretty straightforward pretty simple as you can see nothing really overly complicated the complications come from how multi-layered is the modern arrangement if we're looking at the modern version of emitted it has a lot of layers there is percussion going on there is the funky bass that fluctuates the electric guitars that have their own little riffs my tiger was out for a walk there you know and um, the trumpet section, there is a lot of stuff going on there. And then other guitars that are playing this funky wah-wah thing in the background. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And that creates an illusion, I would say, of that this is a complex song. Whereas in reality, the chord progressions are pretty damn straightforward. There are basically three of them. One is the main one. And that's it. And the hook. the brass section. And that's it. Three chord progressions that basically make the entire song. So this was the musical analysis of Emitted, which is the sixth track, but the fifth song, actually, on the I Tell You What album. I think Emitted occupies a very nice spot here, when everything at this point is not yet too sad, let's put it this way, it's not too tragic, because it's just sort of like still, still in the first half of the album. Uh, the sort out was sort of tragic and philosophical, but prior to that there was Fixing Kiss, which was pretty upbeat. Then there was I Tell You What, which was again pretty active and upbeat. And everything seemed to be sort of fun and games and whatever. So, admit it at this point, it still sits in the first half of the album. It's not, it's not really too heavy emotionally, and it doesn't really deal with, like, some deep topics. Essentially, Admitted on the album is surrounded by two songs that are deep, that are sad, profoundly sad, that are both philosophical, sort of you could say, that deal with major important existential themes. Sort Out precedes Admitted, and Sort Out I've covered it on my previous episode. It's about the wind, it's about dealing with love, death, life, 
with those things, it's pretty damn serious. Admitted follows after that song, and it sort of brightens up things a little bit and brings us back to everyday life. And wow, that's a little tragedy, you know. Wow, it didn't work out with the guy. Ah, oh, whatever. You know, move on. I'll go and find another guy, basically. That's it. So, it's pretty light. And then after Admitted, there's another song called Home. And Home, again, emotionally, is a very sad song because it has to do with urban loneliness and with being homeless. So, Admitted sits exactly between these two songs because if Sort Out had Home coming exactly after it, it would have been a really dark spot on the album. And I didn't want it that way. I wanted to brighten things a little bit, sort of, bringing back to like daily, everyday life and something trivial, in fact, and then deliver the message of home in juxtaposition to Admitted. So that was the purpose of having Admitted right here. As I said in the beginning of this episode, Admitted originally wasn't even written for this album. It was one of these outsider songs that were written for Hex project and it didn't make it, he didn't buy it. And because he didn't buy it, it was sitting on my hard drive for a while and I wasn't checking on it and then at some point I went I went in and I've um, remade a couple of things and then I've written lyrics about those things that happened that night, basically. And um, that's how this song happened. So, uh, at this point, guys, this is where I'm gonna be wrapping up this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in and um, hearing me out. I hope that this episode was helpful to a certain extent. I don't know how helpful is it from the standpoint of music theory. I'm really not doing like a two-hour-long analysis of every single measure and what's going on there. It's a rather surface analysis, but I'm still hoping that it might be of some inspiration and of some help to, to you, especially if you're trying to do some songwriting, and perhaps it might inspire you to turn a seemingly trivial affair, a trivial story, to make a song out of it. Because that's exactly the case with Emitted. There is nothing magical here, there is nothing groundbreaking here. It's just a song that was written out of a simple situation. That's, that's it. So guys, thank you very much for tuning in. I appreciate your attention. If you like this podcast, please follow and share. I will really, really appreciate this. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple, please leave me a review. I will appreciate that tremendously. Thank you very much. Also, if you want to check out my other show, I have a show on YouTube called Cat Talk. Find it right there. Just just type in Cat Talk. Or you can type in Catherine Corelli and it will bring you to my YouTube channel and that's where you will find my Cat Talk episodes. Uh, on Cat Talk show, I talk about a variety of topics that, for the most part, don't have anything to do with music. Cat Tunes, however, is specifically dedicated to musical content. So anyways, guys, thank you very much for tuning in. I love y'all, and you will hear me on the next episode.